So a um, couple things maybe as, as we start. I want to start here. Um, I know we didn't even look at this passage. This is um, from the very end of Romans chapter 11, um, moving into chapter 12. And Paul has just spent a whole bunch of time um, talking about God and what God did in Jesus um, basically, we might call salvation history, um, kind of the, the problems of sin and God's solution to sin. And he ends this whole theological portion where he has told us all about God and God's love and God's character and God's activity with these words. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. The depth of of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. We don't even begin to understand. But when we get to know him and we begin to live in him, we are just utterly amazed at who he is and what he's doing, and what he's done, and his call upon our lives. And he says, who's known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God would repay him? For to him, and through him, and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Paul just goes, God, as I get you as I get your character all I can do is just give you praise just enjoy you just be in awe of you and so he says because of all that I urge you brothers and sisters in view of all that God is in view of his mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship do not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good and pleasing and perfect will today's theme is life is an adventure And in a sense, in order to study that, we've been looking at the life of Elijah. And one of the things that that happened right off the bat as we started talking in leaders group this morning was everybody started talking about how much these lessons are just a little different than what we've done in the past. Um, And how, in one respect, they're really hard. And they're really time-consuming. And, and I guess I want to kind of say a couple things up, up front. Um, they are very different, okay? Um, there are not right answers. Okay? I mean, as I was studying for today's lesson, one of the things that, um, that obviously, if, if you get into Elijah, we, we discover he's a man of prayer. And, and so one of the uh, authors that I was looking at talked about how the way to pray is if our Bible's open. 
Okay? We have a tendency to pray our prayer requests. Listen, he's going, no, really, the way to prayer is to pray if our Bible's open. And, and I want to say, this is our hope for you. If you have six hours to spend on this lesson every day, great, go for it. Okay? If that's what God's calling you, super. But really, what I would really love, no matter where you're at in life, is for you to spend 10 minutes on the lesson that day with your Bible open. And then take what you get out of that 10 minutes to God in prayer as you reflect on the day. And then ask God, God, you're the one who's all-powerful. You're the one who's the giver of all good gifts. You're the one who's in complete control. So God, as I go into this day with all of the things that have to happen, with everybody pulling me in lots of different directions, with all the things that are beyond my control, may I just go with what I have learned today. May I go as your servant today. And if you just do that, then we'll be really happy. Okay? If you can give more, that's great. But please, the whole point of Bible study is not for you to know more. The whole point is for you to be in a deeper relationship with God. Um, we're studying Elijah today as, as life is an adventure. And, and one of the dynamics about Elijah is that he just kind of pops up on the scene. Um, one of the things I was, was telling the leaders a little bit um, this morning, somebody made a comment that they don't like the Old Testament. Um, how many people don't like the Old Testament? Go ahead, you can be honest. Okay, you're going to be, yeah, I know, everybody doesn't like the Old Testament, okay? Um, I, unfortunately, I, I actually happen to love the Old Testament, but this is why. Because I know the New Testament, okay, I read back into the Old Testament, okay? The New Testament tells me, you know, about what God has done and the, the totality of what he has done and the fulfillment of what God has done, okay? And the New Testament, in a sense, shows me and warns me about how to live it out. Let me put it this way. Um, in, in, the New Te- in the Old Testament, if you were to study the Old Testament, you would study, and since you have the prologue, which is Genesis, okay, and especially the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you have the prologue, and then God basically creates a people for himself. Okay? He does it okay, by calling Abraham, and you have what's known as the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac, you know, and Jacob and, and, and you know, all these Joseph, they all end up down in, in Egypt, and God creates these people for himself. He says, you're going to be my people. I want you to know of my love and of my care. And he allows them to go down into Egypt in order that in, in kind of a very confined space, they can grow into a mighty nation. And God sends Moses as their savior to release them from slavery and take them to the promised land so that he can build his kingdom, a nation of people who know him and love him and worship him. Know that he is the God above all gods. And we move from the patriarchs and Moses into the kings and the kingdom of God. And the height of that is David. Okay. 
and God's kingdom is set up and people are worshiping God and all is right in Israel and David dies and his son Solomon builds a temple and people worship and Solomon dies. And these people of God immediately begin to look to themselves and to the peoples around them and they begin to do things their way rather than trusting God. And so God sends prophets, one prophet after another prophet after another prophet to call them back to him. And the first of those prophets is a prophet by the name of Elijah. So here's the analogy. In a sense, Jesus has come. He's our savior. He's called his people to become his church, to become his presence on earth, his kingdom. You know, and kind of partly, not very well, but you know, the first century didn't do a bad job of being the church of Jesus. But as we've gone 2,000 years, we're like that nation of Israel after the prophets, or under the prophets, who kind of listened to Jesus and kind of listened to the other voices around us. And we need the prophets to call us back. See, The Old Testament, in a sense, shows us how we're supposed to be living, but we get to live it knowing about Jesus. Okay, and we'll we'll talk about that in a minute, but um, one of the things that, so God calls um, Elijah, kind of calls him out of no place, um, and we don't know anything about him, and he kind of starts by telling the king of Israel that the king has stopped worshiping God. And that because he has stopped depending upon God, but is starting to depend upon the God Baal. And Baal, Baal's kind of a genetic term um, for gods. Okay, there are lots of, um, if you go to India, okay, you, you learn about Hinduism. Hin- the Hindus believe lots of different gods. They have a god for everything. And since Baal was kind of a god for everything, there were different ways of worshiping Baal. He's kind of a genetic god. He's, he's a fertility god, okay? But he was also known as the god of the heavens, okay? The, the god who brings about the crops. And so when Elijah says, um, Ahab, um, really, there's not going to be rain for three years, it is basically a down and outright, let's see who's really god. Whether or not it's this Baal that you worship who you expect to bring the traps, or whether or not it's God who you worship who you expect to bring the traps. So it's not going to be rain for three years. He kind of said, so hey, I just want to let you know, no rain. And then God says, okay, Elijah, what I want you to do is I want you to go down to the brook and I'll take care of you down by the brook. And he has ravens feed Elijah because there's no rain and there are no crops. And then the roof, and then the brook dries up. Catch this for a minute. God calls Elijah and he provides for Elijah, but it's not necessarily comfortable for Elijah. Okay? Um, in the midst, you know, so 
the brook dries up, it's kind of like, okay, God, now what? And God says, well, listen, I got an idea. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send you out of Israel. I'm going to send you deep into the heart of the country where Jezebel, that wicked wife of Ahab, lives or is from. And deep into the heart of where Baal worship originated to a woman, okay, who doesn't even know me. And I'm going to have her take care of you. Like what, God? You're going to send me to an unbelieving, sinful woman to take care of me? God goes, yeah, trust me in this. since to this woman and for three and a half years God cares for Elijah during those three and a half years Elijah learns that he can take God at his word during those three and a half years he learns that God will provide during those three and a half years he even learns how to pray because one of the things that happens in the midst of that time was we also have that whole time when the woman's son dies And God, Elijah kind of goes to God and goes, doesn't say, God, you're a horrible God. He says, God, I don't get it. God, why did you do this? God, I'll tell you what, why don't you just take my life rather than his life? Hello? That's really the essence of his prayer. See? Um, One of the, um, actually, I think this is the second Go, second, one of the authors I was looking at, um, not the slide that I asked you to put in, the one after that, talked about the next one. Um, talked about the fact that, A, God is an outsider God. When God calls us, he calls us to go outside of ourselves. Um, in Luke 4, um, people confront Jesus because he's eating with sinners. And, and Jesus says, well, you know, there were plenty of widows during the time of Elijah, but God sent him out. When God calls us, God calls us out of ourselves. He calls us out of our comfort zones. When he called Abraham, he said, Abraham, I want you to leave everything that's familiar to you. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your homeland. And I want you to go to the land I'm going to show you. God calls us out into relationships with people who don't know him. And he says, not only do I want you to just be in a relationship, I want you to even let them care for you sometimes. I mean, some of the best ways to get to know people is when you let them care for you. And then all of the barriers dropped down. Jesus didn't come to those who already loved him. He came to all those people who didn't want to have anything to do with him. And he got to know him and he went and had dinner with him. And all the Pharisees, all those righteous people said, what are you doing? And Jesus says, these are the people who really need me. And God calls us the same way. The same way he's called Elijah. Elijah's an ordinary man just like us according to James. Um, and then, our author, actually I think this is Tim Keller, says, um, not only is God an outsider God, not only does he call us outside of ourselves because he still has work to do, but he says that God is also a living God. This son dies, and the woman goes to Elijah and says, what, is it out of judgment? Is it because of judgment that my son died? In, in, in one sense, the answer is yes. Okay? But here's the dynamic on that. 
the other sense, the answer is really no. Okay? Um, it's, it's yes, because that's what the son deserved, but that really wasn't what God had planned or what was behind what was going on here. Okay? The woman got the judgment of God. But God was doing so much more. One of the things when we talked about in leaders group is that we have a very difficult time reading the Old Testament because of the number of people who die in the Old Testament. You liked all that? 450 prophets killed. Okay. Here goes, guys. One of the things that we forget is that the penalty of sin is death. We are all underneath the judgment of death. Okay. Tim Keller said, you know, that one of the things that we try hard not to believe is that we're as sinful as we really are. We dare not believe that we are as sinful as we are. Because if we got a hold of how sinful we really were, we would understand that we too deserve to be one of those prophets dead. So this woman comes, it's because of judgment? Well, yeah. But it doesn't stop with judgment. We have a God of grace, see? A God who takes the judgment onto himself. And so, in a sense, Tim Keller says, we also are loved more than we dare hope. Because rather than leaving us in that judgment, Jesus comes to us and says, let me take that judgment on myself. And so Elijah literally goes up to his room and stretches himself out on the body of the boy three times. And that whole stretching is really kind of a sign of very much what Jesus does out on a cross. And he says, have this boy's judgment come on me. Don't do this. In your love, have it fall on me. And God gives life back to the boy as a sign of what he's going to do in Jesus, as a sign of what he wants to do for every one of us because he's the one who takes the judgment on himself. Okay. Tim Keller, in, in talking about this, also says that this aspect of serving a living God is that we a lot of times want to tell God how to, how to manage things. We want to tell God what is right and what is wrong. We want to tell God how to be God. And part of having a living God is being willing to trust the character of God. Being willing to trust what we know of God. Even in the midst of our doubts and our questions. Being willing to trust the grace of God until God explains more to us. And God calls us to stretch out ourselves for other people. See? And so after Elijah spends three and a half years learning about the character of God, learning about how to pray, learning about how to trust God, God sends him back into Israel, back to Mark Carmel. Let's go back to that side that I asked you to insert. And as he's with Ahab and the nation of Israel. He looks at the nation of Israel and he looks at Ahab and he says, guys, you've got a problem here. 
you're not just worshiping God, you're trying to add to God. You're worshiping lots of gods. The guys I heard from um, All Souls in England um, said that in a sense, what, what you have going on is this aspect of truth versus synthesis. We live in a world today where we are, in a sense, wanting to kind of have lots of different truths. See? And God's going, there's, there's one truth. It's found in me. There's one God. And and Elijah looks at the people and says, choose today who you're going to worship. Is it this, make God into who you want him to be, have the God that you can control, or Yahweh? Okay, Elijah's name means, my God is Yahweh. But is it Yahweh, is it the God of Israel? Is it the God, the covenant God of the Old Testament? The, you know, and that's, you know, I'll talk about it. Um, or is it going to be this mixture of gods that you want? Mixture of truths that work for you that, okay. But, he, but here's the thing about, so he said, he says, you guys got to choose. And in one sense, I got to sit back and say, you know what? Life is a daring adventure, but you got to choose whether or not you want to enter into it too. You can just let life happen. Or you can make the decision to enter into it like Elijah did and like Elisha does. Okay, and decide that you're going to follow the one true God and let him reveal what he has for you and his plans for you. Okay, or you can make up your own God. And all the people, when they hear Elijah say, you choose, you know what their response was? Silence. We don't want to choose. And in a sense, that's very much us in a lot of ways. We don't want to have to choose. I'd rather try and manipulate God than let God be God. And so, so let's set up a test. Okay? We'll, we'll put up two altars here, and, and the Baal guys will, will do their bit and see if fire comes down from heaven and whether or not their God accepts their offering, or we'll see whether or not God accepts our, my offering. And these Baal gods all day long do all these incantations and all of these cutting themselves. And and in a sense, they're acting out what they want God to do. In a sense, they're, they're, in a sense, doing magical incantations to get God to do what they want him to do. And it doesn't work. And Elijah, at the time of the sacrifice, at the time when Jesus went to the cross in the afternoon sacrifice, simply stands up before the altar and says, Lord, may the people today know that you are God and that I am your servant. May the people know that you are God and I am your servant. It's a very simple prayer. It's a prayer that humbly just kind of says, God, do what you want. Have your way. I'm yours. I trust you. Okay. Um, and fire comes down from heaven and consumes 
the sacrifice. Now, one of the things that's fascinating that some people point out, you have this altar that's been built, and it's been built with the, the 12 stones of Israel again, okay? And, and in a sense, this is part of the time of for people who know the divided kingdom, and God's kind of bringing it all back together, and it's kind of showing that he's the covenant God, the God who has a, a plan for all of Israel, okay, that he's wanting to work out. And it's part of that unification and creating a nation. But anyway, it, it brings back all of Israel and he puts his sacrifice on it and he pours all this water on it, you know, and because there's been a drought, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, all this water on it and fire comes down and consumes the entire altar. But it doesn't touch any of the people. It doesn't touch anybody who's close because that entire wrath of God is being poured out onto the altar. It's a symbol of it all being poured out onto Jesus. See? God, Jesus takes it all on him. We're not saved by what we do. We're not saved by our prayer life. We're not saved by our obedience. We're not saved by answering the call of God. We're saved because of Jesus. And the question is whether or not we choose to live in that salvation or not. We're not saved by our choice. We're saved by Jesus. It's just, where, how are we going to live? Are you going to live underneath the truth of Jesus? The truth that he is the all-powerful, all-provider one. The truth that he has a plan that he's working out, that he's called me into. Or are you going to try and manipulate God? Sometimes I think even in the church, we try and manipulate God. We try and say, I went to worship, I tithed, I served. Now you do. I prayed, I did, I did, you know. No. Don't do those things to be saved. We do those things because we are saved, because we have one true God. And rather than living in the truths that the world wants to say are correct, rather than living dependent upon ourselves. See, we're saying, God, I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to respond to you. I'm going to receive life as a grace gift from you. Um, a sermon I was listening to said that, you know, the other point about that passage is you kind of have the prophetic versus the hysterical. And what he means by that is you either concentrate on the message or the means. You know, one of the things fascinating, if you ever read the Bible all the way through and all the miracles of Jesus, no ma- Jesus doesn't do any miracle the same way twice. Okay? I mean, there's fire from heaven here. You don't see it elsewhere. Okay? Because it's not in the means. It's not in the techniques. See? It's in the message. There is one true God. And he is over all things. That he has given his life, that we might have life, that we might know of his love, that we might live in his grace. See? And receive life as a gift and have a calling and a purpose. See? Are we willing to live in the message? Or are we still trying to manipulate God for ourselves? Um, Elijah scores a great victory on Mount Carmel. Awesome victory. But Jezebel doesn't buy it. 
Keller says that in one sense what you have with Elijah is that he's overly optimistic. He thinks that this victory on top of karma is going to bring everybody back. The problem is that the depth of sin in our lives can only be taken care of through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay? We can't get rid of sin aside from Jesus. We can't legislate righteousness. Okay? It has to be a heart thing where I begin to trust God and learn to live in his love. That's what changes my life. Okay? When I learn to trust in his character and, and his ways and his means. So Elijah's very optimistic, thinking, okay, I've just proven God. Everything's going to be okay. And it's like, no, the sin problem's way too deep. It's going to take Jesus to have that happen. And when he realizes that everything he's done isn't really going to bring everybody back, he becomes overly pessimistic. And he goes running for his life in fear. Basically, as he goes running, what he does is he gets rid of his servant. He goes out and he lies down before God and he goes, okay, I've had it. Take my life. I'm done. Okay. Have you ever felt that way? I tell you, a lot of times after great victories in Jesus, it is prime time, okay, to be open to the devil's attack because we're overly tired. We're emotionally drained. And we're looking at the results rather than keeping our eye on Jesus. I just go, I've had it. It didn't happen the way I wanted it to. And if you read through the ninth, no, the, yeah, the ninth, 19th chapter of First Kings, all of a sudden what you see from Isaiah and his prayers with God is I, 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 I. And all of a sudden, Elijah takes his eyes off of God and he puts them onto himself. God, I'm the only one left. God, I can't do it. I'm done. And God is gracious because he's a God of grace. And he responds to Elijah not by saying, excuse me, idiot. Let's go back to square one. Instead, no. He just feeds Elijah. Rest, Elijah. Have something to eat. Take care of yourself. And then he sends him onto a retreat. Forty days out into the wilderness. Okay? Sometimes we need to just take time to refocus and get our eyes off of the problem and back on to God. And God, get, Elijah gets out to that mountain, and God's going, so Elijah, what are you doing here, you know? And he goes, I, I, I. And we have this rain, and we have this thunderstorm, and we have these earthquakes, and we have all of these big things, and it says God's not in them. All too often, we look to big things to happen. And God's unfortunately not working in the big things. 
the big thing happened on this cross 2,000 years ago. God is working in very little ways. Okay? One life at a time. One heart at a time. And he's in this still, small whisper. We have to be quiet before God to hear his voice. I mean, that's why we say, you know, take those 10 minutes in the morning to just open up your Bible and put your day before God and listen for his voice. Get your eyes focused off of the problems and the agendas and back onto God. And in this still, small voice, God says to Elijah, Elijah, you're not alone. I kept 7,000 people who haven't even bowed to Baal. You're not alone. And Elijah, I'm not done with you yet. Folks, God is not done with you yet. I don't care where you're at in your life. God's not done with you then. And he sends Elijah back the way he came with new marching orders. And part of those marching orders, okay, involve anointing some people king. Now, those, that section right in there always kind of, I want to turn my hair and go, I don't get this. And in a sense, what God is saying is, Elijah, you want judgment. Those people that I'm having you anoint, they will bring about judgment. Judgment is it? Judgment? I am a God of judgment. But Elijah, I'm also a God of grace. I don't want you to go and anoint Elisha as the next prophet. But, see. And in a sense, God is saying, don't worry about that which is going on in your life that's not right. God will take care of what's not right in your life. Trust God to do that. You go and get back in community. You go and get back in building relationships and sharing God and mentoring other people. Just getting up next to them and listening to their stories and, and, and getting in relationship and loving on them. And showing them what I've done in your life that they might catch it too. And he gives them new marching orders and he sends them back. And it's in the little things, in the being obedient, that Elijah actually does even more than Elijah ever did. Okay? Those you mentor, those you pour your life into, will do even more than you do. But our call is to get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our pity parties, and back on to God. And entrusting him. Um, there's a um, slide. Go to, there's, the, there's the James 5 slide. The scripture slide. It's probably, I don't know. It's probably around 11 now or something. Yeah. So um, God says, anyone among you in trouble, let him praise. Anyone happy, let him sing songs of praise. Anyone among you sick, um, call to the elders. The prayer of a righteous offered, you know, will be effective. Elijah was a human being just like us. But he prayed. Okay. It's easy to take a look at Elijah and go, well, yeah, he's a guy, you know, but Elijah was a man just like us. But he prayed. Go to the next slide, will you? Um, the background of prayer is spiritual warfare. Somebody said, we want to make it a domestic intercom. 
God, that's what I want you to do today. When it's really a warlike walkie-talkie. What Elijah learned was how to pray. Lord, what do you want to do? Lord, I'm your servant. Lord, may people come to know you. What are our prayers like? Do, are we praying our needs? Or are we asking God for his work and for him to be known? Elijah learns confidence in God's character. His prayer is motivated for God's glory. His prayer is simple with electrifying results. And it's by an ordinary person. Life is an adventure. It begins recognizing the character and the truth of God and keeping our eyes focused on the fact that he is the one true God and serving him as his servant in prayerful obedience. That's the call on our lives. We're called to be like Elijah. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, show us where we have added to you. Show us where we are trusting in things other than you. Thank you. Thank you that we can make mistakes and we can blow it. And you still care for us. May we see your call upon our lives and enter into it out of relationship with you. To your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good morning.